Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the surgeon answer that one. So, what's the difference between a cyst and a pseudocyst? Structure. <laughs> you can tell she doesn't know. D, D, D. Yeah, I don't know. What's the difference? Sorry for saying sorry. Media presents the Per Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, Hello. this is Dr. Susan Little. <laughs> you know, you got the last one, and I thought that you would have oh. the... Uh, you know, patience to give me the honor to say hello. This is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. This is the Per Podcast. Thank you for joining us. But no, I didn't know we were supposed to take turns. <laughs> <laughs> we're never going to learn. That's that's just the uh, the sad <laughs> truth here. And uh, and I apologize for all our audience that this is yeah. a recurrent event. Yeah, it started about two years ago when we started the podcast, like 150 podcasts before, and she still doesn't know how to do this. Yeah, we uh, we apologize for the fact that I still can't open a podcast after <laughs> 100 and some episodes. I'm I'm still a newbie at openings. Yes. Yes. I'm good at the it's middle, a, and I've gotten I've gotten good at the end. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's a continuous learning process. That's how we look at it. You know. <laughs> I remember that, you know, I had some sometimes students that you kind of knew that they would be never good surgeons. It was kind of <laughs> a hopeless cause. And even with those people, you really try to lift them up to a little higher level than they are already. So, so, so what are you saying, Yola? I'm not a good surgeon and I, and I can't. I can't I'm not sure. That. I've never seen you do surgery, but I do know when we talk about surgery together, you're like, oh, I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, I'm not a surgeon. I don't have a passion for surgery. No. Uh, but you have so many other good things that, uh, that come. That's so, very nice of you. <laughs> so we are going to talk about a couple of articles. And I, uh, you're sharing one article. Uh, we're not going to start with that one. Oh, okay. So we, yes, we have a few articles to talk yes. about. So and tell I would me like to talk about two of them. What do you want to uh, talk about? Or three of them if we have time, but I think we get two. So let's start first with the Silocele one. I knew you were going to pick that one. You like Silocele's, I think. I do. I do. do. So this is a article from the journal of feline medicine and surgery. And we love that journal. Yes. Uh, one of the reasons for me is that they have clinical cases that are open access and I'm a big open access fan. Um, I don't know if this one comes from the original journal or from clinical case. Do you know? Yeah, this is the original. So okay. there's, there's two versions of this journal, as Yola said. So the, you know, I guess the original um, uh, is subscription based, but you uh, get a, a subscription automatically if you're a member of AAFP um, or ISFM. So it's a good reason to join one of those organizations. And then the other version is called JFMS Open Reports. Yes. And that is open access. Um, and they're usually individual case reports. And I think because this one is a series of 19 mm -hmm. cases, it's in the original instead of the uh, open reports. 
Yeah, and it's written by Diego Bobes Villagra, and I probably mispronounced it, but there's also a couple of yes. friends of mine. I see Daniel and Morgia and Rosario Falefuco. They're people that I know pretty well uh, on there. And that's probably coming from Italy, I guess. Uh, they are, oh, and it's from, yeah, from the UK and Italy. And too. Italy yeah. uh, and yep. France. So it looks like um, yeah, there is multiple authors on this paper. Mm-hmm. Most look like they're based in the UK, but there's um, some from Italy and at least one from France. Yeah, so it's a multi- uh multi-center i guess centric study that they did yeah they say seven referral hospitals so it's a let's just talk a little bit about the design so it's a retrospective observational study so what does that mean yola and what are the the pros and cons of a retrospective observational study so retrospective means that you do the study after it has already happened prospective means that you do a study before it happens so the setup of the study so these are cases that are already in the hospital you have a you know record of it and you pull all the records together of cases that are similar and then you look at what happens the bad thing about that is is that it's not randomized it's not prospective so it's more kind of it, it doesn't have a lot of scientific uh prowess 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 now what's the word for it well it's 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 less it's less powerful um i think largely because um there's more confounding um effects right so if you do a prospective study you're usually clearly outlining exactly you know what kind of patient you're looking for and what kind of treatment they get and what they can't have to be enrolled in the study that type of thing But when you're doing a retrospective, obviously you have no control over all of the other factors surrounding each case. So there tends to be more confounding factors. And, and, and it's sometimes really difficult because obviously the silos seals that we're going to talk about are not very common in cats. Yeah. And so it's really difficult to do a prospective study. It's, it's easier to do a retrospective study, but you need to know that, you know, the statistics that you get out of it are probably not as strong because there are a lot of confounding factors. And as a matter of fact, I was very impressed with the statistics that they did um but you know if you have 19 cases the chance that you will get something out of it is probably not so great well Um, i I think they were sorry they were smart because they said it's an observational study right so they were really just trying to characterize like what are the most common clinical signs you know what are the most common glands affected so i think they were realistic um and smart in the things that they picked to analyze yeah exactly so they 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 know the limits and they yeah exactly so you know we we don't want to sorry we're talking over each other because we're both excited and we don't want to make people feel like a retrospective study is like no no good it absolutely when they're done correctly and as yola said I mean, how many cases of cyalocele in cats do people see? You know, if you're trying to do a prospective study and enroll cases, you could be waiting 10 years. So um, there are some conditions that are uncommon enough that we really do need to do retrospectives. So what is a cyalocele, Dr. Susan? So um, it is the most common disease affecting the salivary gland of the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other species. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's essentially a collection of of uh, saliva um, that occurs. And it's usually somewhere um, submandibular. That's where the few I've seen have been more submandibular, but they obviously can be 
cervical, where else can they be all at? Like they're kind of that area generally, aren't they? Yeah, they're under the tongue, in the neck. Oh, under the, the tongue, face, yeah. Near the pharynx, under the eye. So there's lots of spaces where they can happen. Everywhere where you have salivary glands. So yeah. is this a, because a lot of people refer to them as a salivary cyst. Is that ah. a correct nomenclature? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to let, I'm going to let the surgeon answer that one. So what's the difference between a cyst and a pseudocyst? Structure. <laughs> you can tell she doesn't know. D, D, Yeah. I don't know. What's the difference? Oh yeah. So a cyst has an epithelial lining. There you go. Structure. And a pseudocyst doesn't. So often these are have no epithelial lining because it is what ah. under. So they're probably salivary pseudocysts instead of ah. real cysts, except the one under the tongue, because that's often a expansion of the, you know, of the duct that is running under the tongue. And then they might have an epithelial lining and then it's a real cyst. And do you know the name of a sublingual cyst? No, there's a name for it. Sorry? There's a name for it? Yeah, ranula. Oh, of course, I've heard that. Mm -hmm. But you, it's the same in dogs too, though, right? That's the same thing. And, I, you know, I've, I've seen one cat with a ranula. It's also right. described in this article, which is really cool. Um, and uh, so, uh, so, so I, I was pretty excited about this, this article because, you know, it's, it's rare in cats. Uh, and so I was excited to see what their results were in those 20 cats. They, they do say that they can occur after trauma, foreign body, sialolith. A sialolith has to be rarer than a sialoceal, man. Or sialolith is a stone in the yeah. salivary gland duct. Uh, that's got to be they, rare. They, they, they can occur, but yeah. that's not very common. But most of these are iatrogenic, so we have no clue. So, or they're, they're idiopathic, you mean? Uh, idiopathic, yeah. sorry. But yeah. they do say that they can occur, I guess, um, iatrogenic following yes. a surgery. Oh, but yeah, it does, absolutely. Right, but it does say most of them we, we don't know. So it makes me wonder um, if some of them could be a, um, a, like a congenital type of, uh, of defect. That, yeah, so the, the one ranula that I got was in a really young cat. So the right. cat was like seven months. And then it probably is that, you know, the, the, the opening of the duct that runs uh, from the submandibular gland to the uh, front of the, the mouth probably was closed or was yeah. not formed well because the cat had a huge mass filled with fluid under the tongue. Yeah. But this, this here, they showed the, the localization. Uh, six were cervical, which is the typical one that we see in the dog most commonly. Six were sublingual. So there were quite a lot of sublinguals in the cat, yeah. much more than we see in dogs. And then three were both. Um, uh, two were facial, and then we have one zygomatic and one pharyngeal. So those are all the locations that we see the most commonly. Um, and then they were talking a little bit about what clans are involved, but that's most of the time pretty logical where that uh, pseudocyst or cyst is located. Mm. Um, I was surprised that almost, because this is 19 cases, and six of them were sublingual. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so maybe in a cat it's more common than we think. Yeah, compared with the dog, because that's about fifty percent of the, the, the cases were under the tongue, um, and so 
and the the interesting thing though was and i i can't see the breakout completely but uh, i would say those are probably more genetic in form so i just want to see at the age when the ranulas were there yeah but okay. but you you know if we look the <clears throat> the table in the article um you know gives you some of the details of the patients and i'm just looking at the ages of the sublingual ones so yeah, there's only years. one that's one year the rest is yeah. older so six that years, must be years. traumatic then i would say i mean i i it, it i cannot believe that you have a so the one-year-old one might be uh a uh you know, a, a hereditary defect, but all the other ones are probably either traumatic or something happened with uh, why they would mm. occur at that yeah. age. So I'm, I'm guessing to it, at, and I've seen very few of these, but I'm guessing from the ones I've seen that they're, they're often quite a size by the time people notice them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In, in, in the mouth, it's a little smaller because you get drooling very quickly and right. they have problems with chewing and that sort of things. But if it's in the neck, they can become quite big before people notice them. The, the good news is the face is observed more than anything else in the body. So people see changes near the face pretty quickly. But I think the time that they were coming in was, uh, did they mention that in the article somewhere, how long it took for people to bring them in? Yeah, I, I don't know that they did. I don't know that they did. And it's sometimes it, like it's hard to quantify that, right, too. Like how long was it there before people brought them in? It can be hard to know. So the table with the individual cases doesn't doesn't mention that. No, it's only the follow-up that they're really talking yeah. about right. the, and, and where they were like located. So uh... Right, yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing you're going to diagnose this like, you're, you, you, for a cat, unless it's a ranula, right? So it's a like a submandibular or a cervical swelling. One of the first things I'm going to think of is that it could be an abscess. Yes. Right. So I, I presume that um, the major way to diagnose these is to stick a needle in it, right? Yes. And see, yeah. And, and then the easiest way to diagnose them is that you get saliva and saliva is it's sticky fluid. So right. most of the time when you do the, what I call the sticky test, yeah, uh, and you see that that it's really saliva-like fluid instead of, you know, um, other types of fluid. Yeah, so it should be pretty easy. Now, I just saw a line in the article here where it says the mean duration of clinical signs was forty-two days. Yeah, so that's not that long. Well, the range is big though; it's nine yeah. days to two hundred and forty days. So I'm not sure you can take much away from that, right? With that big range. The other thing I was thought was interesting is that there is significant, of not significantly, there were twice as many males compared to mm -hmm. females. So is there yeah. a, which brings up the the question why that is? They're all neutered, which probably is a reflection of the population. Most of cats in uh, in these countries are neutered at a certain time, and because all of the cats are older. Uh, it's it's pretty common to have mainly neutered uh, animals, but I, I was surprised that there were so many males, especially the sublingual ones are almost all males. Yeah, yeah but it is only 19 cats, right? So I think we have to be careful trying to yep. trying to take too much away from 19 um, cats, right? Um, yeah, but I mean, it, 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 for me, it's really funny to see that from all the sublingual ones, there is yep. two females and the rest are all males. Yeah. So that's something that that you know, with that big a difference, it doesn't make that much difference anymore. How many cases you have, 
Um, so that's a pretty strong correlation, I would say. And I don't know why. Mm. So not too difficult to diagnose, right? We're just going to stick a needle in it. Um, and uh, so again, looking at the table with all the case details in it, um, they list the procedure for each cat. And there's quite a few different procedures there, right? So there's drainage. So I presume that's stick a needle in it and aspirate. Yeah, and let it go, yeah. Right? There's marsupialization. There's stab incision. So I assume that means, you know, you put it, you make an incision and you let it drain. Parotid duct ligation. Sialoadenectomy. Yeah, that's when you remove the salivary glands. <laughs> now that's what most of the cats had, sialoadenectomy. So do you have a feeling for how does a vet decide which procedure you yeah, do? So if, you they... the, if you look at the table, if you have cervical involvement, most of the time we remove the salivary glands that is affected. If you have just sublingual, it might be a obstruction of the duct itself. So if there, it's lo more logical to do a marsupialization because you don't really have to remove the salivary gland. Although in the cat that I had, uh, I did both. So I think in these cases to prevent recurrence, you probably should take out uh, the salivary gland. And you know, in a dog and a cat, the it's it's the mandibular salivary gland which is then connected to the uh, submandibular uh, and uh, sub or sublingual salivary gland it's all you know they're two different glands but they're all uh, located surrounding the little duct that goes from the mandibular salivary gland to the tip of the you know under the tongue the the tip of the of the mouth uh, under the tongue so that whole um, if you want the saliva to stop, you have to remove those glands. And so, so you just for, remove the whole thing. You remove the whole thing yeah. or almost the whole thing because it's almost impossible to remove everything. We try okay. to remove as much as we can. Okay. Um, so for, for these cases, if I have a ranula, I probably would do a marsupialization plus a sialoadenectomy. Um, in rare cases, you can try to do a marsupialization which just means make a hole is that all that that's what i was going to ask you like what exactly is marsupialization how is that different from like just making an incision because because they differentiate right there's yes. two cats in this table that that they say the procedure was stab incision yes. and then the others are marsupialization so what's the difference yeah so marsupialization means that you suture the so you make an incision and then you suture the ends. So the, you, you suture the opening to keep the opening open. Can you do that under the tongue, like with the ranula? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, because it's really big. Often. Okay. So it's relatively easy. So normally I remove a large part of the cyst or the pseudocyst. In this case, it's a cyst. And then I suture the edges together so it doesn't grow immediately back together. Because the, the worry that you have is that uh, you know, it will, re will return. So yeah. if you don't suture, you know, if you don't keep the opening open, uh, then you might get a recurrence, although they didn't show any recurrences in this case study. Yeah. But now we're talking really small numbers. So there's only two yeah. cases that only got drainage and you don't know how they drained it and how much they drained, etc. So I probably would either make an incision into it and remove part of it or masupilize it, which is probably easier in a dog than in a cat. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, 
you're right. It's probably, especially with the ranulas, it's, it's probably possible, right? So if you make a big incision and open it up, and then you're just going to essentially tack the edges down to adjacent tissue, aren't you? So that they can't right. close up again. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like something even I could do. Huh? <laughs> um, they did say that, um, I did see somewhere in the article that the cats who had drainage, um, at least initially, that um, it reformed again within a couple of weeks. So, so yeah, I, and I'm, I'm suspecting that's why only two of the cases were treated with drainage. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like something you could do temporarily, but yes. in most cases, um, and they were this, and the two that had drainage only were sublingual. Yeah. Right. Um, so and none it makes of the a lot other... of sense because it's this, a cyst is, you know, the, the, the saliva comes from somewhere. And if you don't treat the coming from somewhere, then it will just recur. Just yeah. putting a drain into it or drain it. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, in dogs, we normally uh, do a uh, removal of the mandibular glands or the, the salivary glands plus a drain because they get these really big, uh, you know, seromas or cysts under their chin. Yeah. And so you really need to drain them. We don't remove them though, because that used to be in old times that you want to remove the whole thing. We just leave them in and have them drained for a couple of days and that's it. And as soon as you remove the cause, it will disappear. Okay. So you're saying initially with the big ones that are like cervical or submandibular, you're going to kind of treat it like an abscess. It sounds like, right? Open yep. it up and put a drain in. Yeah, but you remove the 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 glands because in an abscess, okay. of course, you're not removing anything. But oh, I see. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So you're removing the glands at the same time, but yes. you're leaving a drain in place postoperatively. Yes. Yeah. So I was going to ask you that, like, is, and is that would that be necessary in 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 cats? Um, the table doesn't tell us if they. I, I probably would do it during it, it if it is a cervical. I would definitely do it. I don't do it in in the oral ones in the sublingual ones because they're open anyway so right so they did say two cases had penrose drains placed yes um, yeah so it's only two and then they're, they're also talk about the pseudo capsule being removed you know i normally don't do that in the cervical ones i do do that in the lingual ones if they're really big because otherwise they have this the tissue in under the tongue that is just in the way and they can bite it and they, then it starts bleeding. So in, in, if I can see under the tongue that there's a big cyst, I will remove uh, a lot of the cyst and then marsupialize it in the neck. I never remove them. Okay. Um, so they also noted that 13 of the 19 cats got antibiotic treatment prior to the procedure. So what's your thought on that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's not a it's not an infectious etiology, right? No. So, do we need to give them antibiotics? No, and they did in five cases. They did uh, they, you know, check for uh, bacteria, and these most of the time are sterile. You know, there's no bacteria in there, so I would I, I probably would not put them on any antibiotics. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, analgesia, obviously, but yes. probably no need for antibiotics. And we're, you know, we all need to try to be better stewards of antimicrobials yep. because we're, you know, the, the issue of resistance um, is an everyday thing. So we need to look for opportunities not to give um, antibiotics. Now, there was barely any complication rate. They, I think there was one cat that had a seroma 
Yeah. yeah, one of the one of the cervical sialoadenectomy cats had a seroma, but otherwise there was no complications. No, because if you remove the cause, you're done. That's yeah. that's the whole trick here. So I think that uh, that it's it's I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. um, there was quite a wide range in hospitalization. The median time was two and a half days, but yeah. it went from one to seven. So why would you keep these cats in the hospital? What's the it's point? Probably because of the drain. So people tend to keep cats when okay. they still have a drain in right. a, a little longer. Yeah. Um, and, and only two cats had a drain. Um, one cat had a drain for 24 hours and the other for 72 hours. So yeah, um, although they don't specifically say for those cats, um, I'm guessing that they kept those cats in the hospital until the drain was uh, removed. Yeah. Right. It's, so. it's it for me. It's really cool. You know, with the, in 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 the D, it, it's very specific how these cervical sinuses feel. It's just very strange when you when you touch them when you you know kind of push on them. It's it's a really weird feeling. So they're soft but kind of springy. Uh, I always compare them to uh, silicone implants. So uh -huh. like a silicone implant when you feel it. And so you can make that diagnosis. It's completely different from an abscess. Abscess is normally hard and painful. This is soft and it's kind of springy if you palpate them. Um, so it's a pretty typical diagnosis. And do you know how you uh, diagnose which side this? Because normally they're in the ventral side of the neck. How yeah. can you... How do you know which side, which side of the mandibular uh, salivary glands that you need to remove? Can, can you tell by compressing the gland? No. No. Okay. What do you do? You use uh, gravity. So you put the dog or cat on its back and then yeah. see which side this mass uh, falls to. Oh, I see. Yes. Also like the 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 site that you need to take out and if you don't know if it's right in the middle you have to take out both of them yeah uh, and then people always ask me is that a problem that they yeah good question and and the answer is no that will be taken off by you know the other glands that are still there okay yeah that's that that's a good visual thing that you just mentioned because you're right you know the the body position of cats and dogs um, if they've got a big sialocele, it's going to kind of gravity is going to kind of make it go midline, right? Yep. Yeah. Right. So you turn them over on their back and see which side. I, I, I like that little tip. Yeah. 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 So. And I'm sure like that's a question owners would ask, right? If you're going to take out um, these glands, like, is that okay? So it's yep. good to know that the function will get taken over. There was um, one cat in this case that did have neoplasia. Um, it had an adenocarcinoma. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that triggered me a little bit because we have these carcinomas in cats and sometimes in yeah, we have fibrosarcomas in dogs that can be very productive and they have the same kind of uh, salivary-like uh, you know, substance. So they have big cysts that can form. Uh, that doesn't mean that it always is a salivary gland adenocarcinoma because that's a differentiate that's a differentiation so it might be but it might be just a normal adenocarcinoma that just makes fluid okay but could the could the mass effect of the adenocarcinoma block a block a duct could that be why the i doubt it i okay. think it's more the tumor is producing ah uh, fluid and it's the part tumor of the itself tumor. yes okay Gotcha. Um, and it's an adenocarcinoma. Um, um, I don't know if we can tell from the 
uh, from the article what the outcome of that one cat was, but would you, if, would you expect, um, what kind of uh, outcome would, prognosis would you ex um, expect? So yes. I, I guess it depends on your, uh, what happens at surgery, like how yes. complete the excision is. Yes, and if there's signs of metastasis already, so if the lymph node is involved, if the lungs are involved, Right. And of course, decrease the prognosis, how big the tumor is, so how long it has been there. Um, and it's not a surprise it's an endocarcinoma because that's a gland tumor, yeah. a tumor of a gland, and glands yeah. are supposed to produce stuff. So yeah. it could be a salivary gland endocarcinoma, but it could also be a normal endocarcinoma from other glands that are, you know, sweat glands or whatever glands that are nearby. Have in that group. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought okay. it was a really interesting article. What yeah. I like about it, and I was wrong in the beginning, I thought this was the one that had statistics, but that's another article right. that we might be able to discuss or will discuss at a later time. Uh, this is a, a, you know, you already said an observational study, mm. and I like the fact that they discuss the limitations of this yeah. article. I, I think that needs to be done because we can, so for instance, me saying, you know, male cats have a higher instance of, uh, ranulas compared to female cats that has not been proven by this study because we right. have not looked at that specifically it's a suspicion because right. the numbers are so stark but we still have to prove yeah and they didn't try to um you know get more out of this study than they should so they you know they 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 didn't say more common in males. So again, I, I think they did exactly the right type of analysis of this data um, and that it's really observational, right? Like what are the, so again, we, the one thing we didn't men mention is clinical signs, although for the ranulas, uh, presumably at some point the cat's going to drool, right? Because yeah, right. the mouth is held open. Um, but they also, uh, so they mentioned three common clinical signs. So there's the drooling, Mm -hmm. uh, also dysphagia, so difficulty swallowing and, uh, and anorexia. So. Yeah, so it depends a little bit where they're located. So if you have a cat where there's a ranula, so a sublingual uh, salivary cyst, then you expect signs of drooling, of having difficulty to eat, don't want to eat, you know, uh, and then, and then of course, uh, 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 losing weight. If it is in the cervical area, it's more dysphagia because it pushes on, on that area, or it could be drooling too, because they can't swallow, um, and they might not be able to eat. So depending on where the location is, it really depends on, on what clinical signs you see. Yeah. There's going to be some level of discomfort, um, at some point I I'm assuming as these increase in size, yeah, right. the interesting thing is that, it, you know, I, I, I can't talk about uh, cats here, but in dogs, most of them, dogs are fine with them. They can oh, very big and they still come in and as if they're completely normal. Yeah. Uh, but they have much more space there too. Yes. So, so the more it pushes on your larynx, pharynx area, the more uncomfortable it will be. And with any surgery, never forget pain killing. Yeah. Never forget analgesia. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I can, uh, it, it wouldn't be a, um, hard for me to believe that cats may have a higher rate of like of poor appetite or even lethargy associated with these because I think if there's one rule in cats is that everything bothers them <laughs> it's like, That's true. right things things that really don't bother dogs too much um, 
yeah, it'll bother cats. And as you say, there's kind of less space in the cervical area or sublingual. So yeah, right. yeah so there's probably some degree of discomfort. I, I don't know if they're outright painful, but you know, they may be uncomfortable to, uh, to some degree. So yeah, so in, interesting that um, we can see a lot of similarities with this type of problem in dogs, but probably also some differences um, uh, as well. Yeah, certainly in terms of frequency because they're far less frequent in the cat than in the dog. But, you know, if you're uh, practicing with cats for any length of time, the odds are, you know, at some point you're going to see one of these. Yep. No, yeah. it's, and, and, you know, it's, it's good to have multiple cases. So uh, I really like this article. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll know what to do. I, I think diagnostically they're not, uh, it's not a heavy lift, right. Mm -hmm. To get a diagnosis. So, um, uh, uh, and it is nice to have a little bit of, uh, information in the literature about the, the treatment options. And again, you know, the good news out of this was, uh, these were essentially very curable problems in these cats. And um, the and and almost hardly any of them had complications. There was one seroma formation, right, which is pretty should yep. be pretty easy to deal with. So, exactly. yeah, yeah. So exactly. it can, uh, and so I just want to I just want to emphasize one last thing that is a, a little bit of a soapbox of mine, and that is just because there's a mass under the tongue of a cat doesn't mean it's always a squamous cell carcinoma. That's a good point. Yeah. So especially in a cat that is not that old, because as you can see, most of the cats were under 10. Yes. Uh, and, and we always say it's squamous, squamous, squamous. And sometimes you see an granuloma, but there are some other diseases that you can get. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I'd say other than squamous cell carcinoma for a mass under the tongue, the second most common I've seen has been eosinophilic granulomas can form a mass, literally form a mass mm -hmm. under the tongue. Um, and now obviously uh, it's far less common, but it could be a ranula as well. So, you know, you should always, um, I mean, it's a big, it's a big thing to say to an owner that a cat has a squamous cell carcinoma. So uh, a, a really malignant disease versus something that um, is more benign and treatable. So, you, you know, you do want to be sure you want to have due diligence and make sure that you're giving the owner um, the, the right diagnosis and not just assuming that everything under the tongue is a squamous cell carcinoma. Yeah, so. none of the sublingual ones were older than seven, seven yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all the cervical, the, there was one cervical one that was 15 years. Yeah. But but most were under 10. So yes, exactly. So yeah, this was great. Thank you, Dr. Susan. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't often um, enjoy talking about surgical topics as much. But, <laughs> but this I'm one was fun. We have one, you know, normally, we're talking I know. About medicine stuff, but uh, that's why I this, picked this article, because I know uh, you like them. See, and I, yeah, that, that was wonderful. So, so thank you so much. Um, yeah. And just to recap, um, it's an article in the Journal of Feline Medicine and Surgery. Um, 2021, it's currently um, uh, online before print, so it'll probably hit print sometime in 2022, mm -hmm. and it's called Feline Sialocele Clinical Presentation, Treatment, and Outcome in 19 Cases, and we'll post a link um, in our show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So are you going to do the wrap up um, today? I can. Okay. Uh, if you want more information, uh, you can find us at perpodcast.net. We also have a social media handle at perpodcast. And uh, if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Can we say, <laughs> can we say leave a good review? Because I, I, I guess we're not supposed to say leave and a leave a review. Yeah. Leave a review. So why aren't we allowed to say 
please leave a five-star review. Uh, because people don't like that. Oh, okay. So okay. And um, yeah, so that that's it. But you can do whatever you want. If you yes. want to leave a good review, please do. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're very happy that you're here. So thank yes, you. Yes, we're just happy to have listeners. <laughs> here we are. Well, All right, talk to you soon. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 